Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. We often bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I am here with my older brother. Wesley. And today we're talking about planes, trains, and automobiles. I'm assuming that was a John Candy impression. Nope. Oh, that was a Steve Martin impression? Yes. That's Steve Martin's thing. <laughs> Oh, the over-annunciation. That thing? Yeah, that thing. <laughs> I don't know. Something about it kind of sounded John candy Plain. to me. In fact, I didn't really know much about the movie at all. This is my first time seeing it. Can you believe that? No. Uh, I guess it's as much a Thanksgiving movie as Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Yeah. Again, holiday adjacent will suffice for us. Yes. I mean, like how holiday specific do you have to get for it to be a holiday movie? It could have been adjacent to any holiday exactly and he could have been getting home for his kid's birthday or something or he could be getting back for the birth of his son or daughter he could get back to his pregnant wife michelle monahan michelle monahan looked like his wife you haven't seen due date have you nope is she his daughter who michelle monahan robert downey jr's daughter Robert Downey, Michelle, Mo oh my God, what are we talking about? Michelle Monaghan is Robert Downey Jr.'s wife in due date. And Robert Downey Jr. is Steve Martin, the long-suffering road tripper. And Zach Galifianakis is John Candy, the annoying road trip partner. Okay. Did you see due date just because of the hangover? Um, I saw due date because Brian and I were on a weekend getaway and binging movies. So I watched due date, Constantine. And My Octopus Teacher in one day. My Octopus Teacher? Which is on the preview list, and I'm ready to review it when you are. Okay, stay tuned for The Octopus Teacher. My Octopus Teacher. Oh, sorry. <laughs> is it Robert Downey Jr.'s Octopus Teacher? No. What I'm saying is, plane, trains, and automobiles did the imminent deadline rush home road trip movie thing right. Maybe first. This is still a holiday favorite, a perennial favorite. Yeah, I mean, quintessential Thanksgiving movie. But uh, yeah, it's been around for a while. It wasn't exactly as I recalled it. It's always a little bit different reviewing movies uh, critically. It was interesting for me, too, after having just watched Home Alone, not critically, also John Hughes, although he produced Home Alone, and also John Candy. And also a holiday movie. Yes. And one of those movies that you kind of get an itch to watch around the holiday season. Do you know that John Candy is the person that has appeared in the most John Hughes movies? I think it's seven of them. Huh. So they were close? I guess so. Both of them died tragically early. I found out in uh, doing a little bit of research on this movie that I am older now than John Candy ever was, which is scary. John Candy died young. 
Yeah, John Kennedy died at 43. He was unhealthy. He smoked a lot. He smoked right up until just before his death and decided to quit and died for his trouble. But uh, it it is striking that in this one, I am older than either of the two dads. Steve Martin as the dad character, the professional, no-nonsense guy. It's distressing. Why is it distressing? I, I think so that maybe I didn't connect with this movie on any real level as a kid because there were no kids to identify with. Well, there's definitely a fantasy element to Home Alone, right? Because we identify with Kevin. We think about all the things that we would love to do if we had been left Home Alone. And I mean, Paloma even watched it with mom. Mom and Paloma sat down and watched Home Alone together. And then that night, Paloma was like, if I got left Home Alone, I would eat everything I wanted to. <laughs> yeah. She would need to eat everything to have the fuel to set up like the flamethrowers and the bowling balls and all that stuff. But I was like, well, what would you eat? And she was like, everything from the cabinet. And I was like, whoa. So she's like already got her eyes set on like what she would dig into if I weren't around. Yeah, we definitely had that. You remember dad coming home and us flocking around his knees yelling for surprises? Can we have a surprise? Can we have a surprise? Which was always top drawer candy. Yeah, there was the top drawer and then there was whatever's on top of the fridge. Man. That's where the good stuff was. It's a wonder we didn't end up like all fat in our old age. But planes, trains, and automobiles doesn't necessarily resonate with me. I felt pretty removed from it. And maybe it's because the motivation for the Steve Martin character is like some kind of tenuous. I mean, his connection with his wife is real, but him trying to get back to his wife was weird to me. And why was she all weird and like all subdued? Like, was there something going on in their marriage or was it just they had a really lovely marriage and wanted to be together for Thanksgiving? She recognized the sacrifice he had made to get home. She was jazzed and overcome with endorphins and dopamine and stuff. Yeah, she exhibited the gravity that he felt of finally having made it home. She's like, hello, Mr. Griffith. And then she kind of saunters down the stairs and then gives him a big hug and everything. But it wasn't like there was some meaning that was trying to be conveyed, you know, in that pause between their actual physical reunion, as opposed to having her just like run down the stairs and jump into his arms kind of a thing. It was meaningful, romantic looks. John Hughes movies are full of them. I mean, it can be about the wackiness, but this movie was also contemplative and measured and restrained in a lot of ways. Yeah, it was kind of weird to see Steve Martin kind of play the straight guy. Yeah, I think that it was his tone or his his choices complemented overall the tone of the movie. Unquestionably, in this scenario, John Candy is the fun-loving, you know, kind of zany, zanier guy. Even if he wasn't overtly silly, he was definitely lovable and funny and then was perceived by Steve Martin as being the goofy guy. The laughing maniacally devil outfit, whopper fried to the back of the seat kind of guy. He went a little large marge. Yeah, there were definitely elements of Pee-wee's Big Adventure that I was going to say, right? Because they there was large marge aspect of it in that moment, which is kind of the only surreal moment in the whole thing. I mean, the plausibility of them getting that car started after the fire and driving it around with the smoking seatbacks <laughs> and all that stuff was dumb. But there weren't surreal or, I guess, supernatural elements in that movie any more than there were in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. You have the crystal ball and stuff that was all fake and... and you know, those dinosaurs never came to life, but Large Marge, even if it was just a, a hallucination or a dream, was definitely that truck moment between the two trucks in planes, trains, and automobiles. And other than that, the pace was completely different because Pee-wee was definitely a farce, right? It was supposed to be fun and larger than life, whereas planes, trains, and automobiles, the more I think about it, is the more grounded, realistic movie. 
Steve Martin being the kind of captain of that ship and John Candy being someone that he otherwise probably wouldn't have tolerated in his life. Which is odd since since uh, Dell is going to move into his house now, apparently, after they have their fill of Thanksgiving. Yeah, there was kind of green booky at the end there where it's revealed that this man doesn't really have a family to return to. And then he gets invited to, you know, and, and he kind of envies in a way what the other man has and he gets invited to the holiday. Yeah, apparently not the original ending. There was the ending where they get home and Steve Martin and his wife share what you called an awkward or a strange moment. And then Dell seeing that they need their time and he has helped his friend to achieve his objective, I guess in one way or another, takes his trunk presumably and walks off down the road. Well, I think it seems pretty fitting. Either way, Del Griffith achieves his goal because his goal, as I understand it, was to spend as much time with Steve Martin as possible. If there was nothing for him in Chicago, then Chicago was kind of a fake destination for him. And he was just trying to spend some time with someone, as he said, he like genuinely liked hanging out with. Yeah. And so it kind of seemed like the whole, I mean, the whole thing was a bit of a ruse where John Candy's character was just trying to hang out with Steve Martin, which also reminded me of Due Date. I don't know why I'm bringing it up since you haven't seen the movie, but spoiler, Zach Galifianakis holds on to Robert Downey Jr.'s driver's license so that Robert Downey Jr. can't get away from Zach Galifianakis. That is so creepy and yet so fundamentally Zach Galifianakis for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, not at all a surprise, I might add. That the card gets into John Candy's wallet? Well, already you know. I mean, as a dude, you keep your wallet in your pocket and you keep your phone either in your hand or in your pocket at all times. The second he put the wallet in the glove compartment, I was like, oh, that's a terrible idea. Of course. And John Hughes gives us the telltale close up of the wallet going in there. But the diner's club has already been returned to his wallet at that point. But Dell either takes the the credit card earlier or it somehow winds up in his wallet and he confesses it at that point. What I'm saying is this movie wasn't unpredictable. I get that it's a holiday classic and I understand why movies like A Christmas Story and even Home Alone resonate because they have really memorable scenes. Aside from... I guess the twist, maybe the car scene, and certainly the two pillows scenes. Like, what stands out as the colorful scene that makes you recall planes, trains, and automobiles fondly? Maybe if I put together all the parts that I had seen in passing in totality, I would have seen the whole movie. But this is the first time I saw it in one go. I mean, how many times have they parodied the two pillows bit? I feel like I've seen that a ton. I don't know. But what you're saying is they're memorable comedic set pieces. Just and... not as many. I feel I feel like this wasn't intended to be a wacky comedy. I feel like it was very grounded and very real and emotional. And you needed that emotional basis in order to turn it and have Dell's wife be dead. I mean, considering the fact that John Candy was in his late 30s, the fact that she had been dead for how long? Like six years? Eight years. Man, he was widowed really early, unless she was an older lady. But there were some, you know, supposed to be impactful. And Steve Martin, who spent the whole movie trying to get away from Dell, except when guilt overtook him, really wanting to embrace him and to have a personal connection to let him into his family, at least for the purposes of Thanksgiving. And I guess in order to have that emotional weight, you have to have a movie that resonates emotionally kind of consistently throughout. You know, I mean, how many scenes did they have where Steve Martin was being the logical one and saying, look, I I think 
that our partnership is not conducive to us getting home. And of course, he was trying to get rid of someone who annoyed him, but also practically his mission wasn't to make friends. It was to get home. And they had like three or four emotional partings where they say goodbye to each other once and for all, only to see each other five minutes later through some other mishap, right? I mean, how many times did he say, well, it's, uh, it's, it's been interesting and, uh, you know, good luck and, uh, and happy holiday. And it's not funny. It's meant to be serious. I guess it exists for me in this weird middle ground where it was like, like you said, Steve Martin playing the straight guy and trying really hard to get rid of this annoying guy and get on with his life and keep, keeps getting sucked back in. I mean, Dell had nothing to lose literally, whether he ended up at an L station in Chicago or in some diner in New York, it was all the same to Dell, right? He could have easily, as you said, sat it out and then gone to Chicago in a week when things had cooled down. Yeah, so it was all a ruse because he, in the taxi mishap, he was like, that seems like a cool guy. I want to hang out with him. But he went to the plane and was stuck in the airport waiting for that same plane, presumably to go to Chicago. Why right before Thanksgiving? I have no idea. But, you know, he got on the same train that Steve Martin was on, that it broke down and that he was lugging his trunk. He was going to Chicago for some reason, I guess, to sell a whole bunch of shower curtain rings. Although you probably want to avoid that particular travel. Maybe he was like the chubby guardian angel who was just set down to test Steve Martin's faith in humanity. Like Don Cheadle's character in The Family Man, where Dell going to Chicago of all places in the Thanksgiving rush with a trunk full of shower curtain rods. I mean, that dude, like to test Steve Martin, went through every single towel in the bathroom. Didn't Steve Martin go first to take a shower? <laughs> I mean, apparently not. He had to have had time to use all the towels all and start All the laundry. towels and soak his socks and leave his underwear conveniently placed as a hand towel. But I, I don't know. Dell didn't seem like a real person. He didn't have real goals or destinations or or even motivations except to strangely kind of hover around Neil's character and smooch his ear and touch his butt. Like if his <laughs> wife had been dead for eight years, you'd think, you know, was what was he dreaming about when he was all up on? Well, he certainly wasn't gay because people weren't gay in the 80s. Yeah, which was obvious um, as evidenced by the fact that they jumped up and they had to be as straight as possible. They were like, oh, so how about those bears? How's that bears game? Oh, it's great. <laughs> I think your theory is interesting and it would make a lot more sense than the more realistic grounded story. Like, honestly, if he really doesn't have a destination and he really doesn't have any family to speak of in Chicago then he was just kind of a creeper hanger on her. And definitely he had the creeper hanger on her mustache, but also he was lovable. If he was a devil, he was a, a devil in disguise. <laughs> and had the cute devil outfit on. What on earth was that sound you just made? That was devil in disguise. <laughs> it's Elvis song. <laughs> Oh, of course. I should have known that. I didn't have this theory before. It just struck me that John Candy in this movie is a relatively young guy. There's a lot of weird things. The fact that he could sustain himself selling shower curtains and and could have ever have been married making those sinus clearing sounds and leaving his back. I mean, I guess that tracks, right? If he's a single, if he's a bachelor, then he would leave his underwear all over the place and use all the towels and make noise at night, right? Yeah, because he wouldn't be... Trained. Trained. Men have to be trained to live to be like civilized. Like the the instinct 
as a man in me to rebel at that is just squashed by the the truth because men left to their own devices are horrible people disgusting individuals yeah, yeah I, i'm naked exactly. right now and i've Ew, been working uh, all day that's not true there's nobody here you're, i mean are you at least in a robe right no why would i be in a robe well what if somebody came by if becca was like oh i forgot my thing like, would you, like, skitter away in the bedroom? That's why Rebecca doesn't have a key to the security screen door. She doesn't have a key to her own home? No, because if the screen door, security screen door is locked, that means one of us is home to let her in. But you know how it is. I mean, the same thing with mom and dad. To this day, you can walk in and dad will be in, in, in his tidy whities at sitting at the kitchen table. <laughs> He's got, like, those weird, like, no body hair except for the hairy nipples. Oh, okay. You naked and dad's hairy nipples. This is like too much. Planes, trains, what? and automobiles. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just feel like getting home for the holidays is having to be out in the first place is bad. But rushing home, I feel like there's a choice in there. It's like, why would you want to put yourself through rushing around for Black Friday? That's not fun for anybody. The idea of going to Times Square sounds cool and all, but it's freezing you're stuck out there for hours. You can't pee. People literally wear diapers after driving days to get there so that you're wedged into a little corner against a rail. It seems really not fun. It seems like you're just fighting the elements at that point, doesn't it? Well, you and I are very trained to avoid the madhouse, as mom calls it, at all costs. And because we've lived locally, Thanksgiving travel hasn't really been a big part of our reality. Well, put yourself in Dell's shoes or in Neil's shoes. Brian is at home waiting with the girls. You're in New York or you're somewhere comparable between New York and Chicago. Let's say you're in Denver, Texas or something. And the plane has to land and you're stuck in the middle of nowhere and you can rent a car. But after the second or third mishap. Don't you just give it up and be like, look, I'm going to ride it out. It's simply not worth the danger and the headache making it home in time for your arbitrary deadline for when the turkey's ready or whatever. <laughs> I, I totally get what you're saying. And I think that in this movie, it's not about getting home when you say that you will or to make Thanksgiving dinner. It, there comes a point where for Steve Martin, it's about the principal. After the rental car is not in its place, <laughs> he gets dropped off in the rental car lot and he's like, not this guy. And he like flips out and he's punching the air and, this, and doing this really great physical comedy. It's like a turning point for his character where it's like, at this point, it's just about the principle of getting home. That's the turning point for the movie as well. As everyone knows, that single scene with 18 F-bombs is the entire reason the movie is rated R. Oh, I didn't hear the F-bombs. It's like, the you what? I didn't. There, there were no F-bombs because I watched it on AMC. Wow. Okay, right now, hang on. We're going to go to YouTube and we're going to watch the unedited clip. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realize I was watching an edited for TV version. So but yeah, I guess so. It's the easiest edit in the hit. Like someone is like, look, it's a it's a hard R. We got to knock this down to a PG-13. Whoever got that gig for planes, trains, and automobiles had a good, easy day. Maybe I just thought that was like an 80s thing. Maybe now with depictions of smoking or whatever. But there's nothing else that would remotely suggest that it's strictly for adults. Even in some countries, it's not rated R because they don't care about the F word. I'm wondering now what other things might have been deleted from my TV edit. Like, do the does the couple in the bus, like, really do it? Do it? No. But they make out and they're, like, leaning into the aisle and stuff. 
Well, because in my version, they were like getting hot and heavy, and then Steve Martin gets his hand slapped, and then they're smoking cigarettes. So yeah. I was just wondering if maybe in my TV edit, they like went further. Nope. That was a joke as far as I know it. She was very blonde, Molly Ringwally looking. Uh, as is befitting a John Hughes movie. What was with the Kevin Bacon cameo? Well, it's been speculated because the movie that his wife, that Steve Martin's wife is watching is She's Having a Baby, which is another John Hughes movie that wasn't released until after this movie. So she's watching a movie, like a weird preview of movies, and people have speculated that Kevin Bacon, because he starred in She's Having a Baby, is playing that character in some weird world and is racing Steve Martin for the cab. But if he is that character, then why would she be watching a movie about that character? at the house, let alone one that hasn't been released. It's It all happens in the John Hughes universe, the John hughes universe. Got it. So Kevin Bacon is a movie star in this universe, and he made a movie that was released <laughs> in this universe, and Steve Martin's wife is watching it, and simultaneously Kevin Bacon as the movie star is fighting with, his, with her husband for a cab? Yeah, so I guess the six degrees of Kevin Bacon for this, game, for this movie is really easy. But uh, you can't tie him to She's Having a Baby, A, because that movie Movie didn't exist in the world yet. B, he never speaks, so you can't match his voice and you never see him on camera. And C, he's only credited as taxi runner, I think. I feel like Kevin Bacon just wanted to have six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Like, he makes all these <laughs> random cameos in all these random movies. Like, was he just fueling? Is this some kind of con on Kevin Bacon's part that he was like, I'm just going to be in a whole bunch of movies and then people can put me together? Well, it's, I mean, he's the perfect person for it, strangely. I don't know about lately because he's not exactly the highest profile star at the moment. But, I mean, this movie was before the six degrees of separation movie that spawned the game, right? He, oh. Yeah. Um, but John Hughes is curious because he was very prolific, as we know. He's synonymous with comedies in the 80s, and he churned them out, man. Supposedly, he did the first 60 pages of this movie in like six hours or something insane. He'll go and sequester himself for like a week and show up with a movie script. So the fact that this movie was in production at the same time as She's Having a Baby and was finished enough that they could portray She's Having a Baby as being a part of this movie is not surprising at all. Yeah, he's definitely the genuine article. He doesn't have the most original concepts, but his execution has so much charm. And I was so I was interested to see that he produced Home Alone and that Chris Columbus directed it. And I thought, like, what a great team sensibility wise, because they are able to direct with such charm. You do feel some of the more emotional moments. Uh, Breakfast Club had it. Ferris Bueller's had it. Yeah, he's definitely good at that. But uh, you had issue with Three Amigos because it was ridiculous. And yeah. so I wondered about Planes, Trains, and Automobiles because it's not ridiculous. I, th I would actually say it falls a little bit short of the necessary ridiculousness to make it on par with the great 80s comedies like Home Alone was 1990, but Pee-wee and, and, and Three Amigos and any of the zanier ones that, you know, I mean, Steve Martin might as well have been Steve Martin Shop Girl or Steve Martin Grand Canyon. Like, he didn't have a beard in this movie, but he was definitely the serious Steve Martin. I guess he was funny at times, but I don't know. It feel, It's like a weird gray area. If you're like, yeah, check out Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, yeah, is it a comedy? Well, I, yeah, I, at times. Oh, of course. Of is it course a family movie? A I guess, kind of. Is it it's, an action movie? 
Well, I mean, there's not a ton at stake in planes, trains and automobiles. The earth is not going to come to an end if he doesn't make it home for Thanksgiving. But it's a family movie wanting to be there at the times where it matters because he's not always around. And it's also about family for John Candy because it's hard for people who maybe don't have those kinds of connections, especially around the holidays. I mean, it's a road trip movie and they have these ridiculous kind of obstacles against them. But I think that this is different from Three Amigos in that there's clear opposition and conflict between our two main characters. In Three Amigos, they were kind of all the same, and they were taking on a fight that essentially wasn't their own. And in this, this film is fueled by Neil and Dell's constant conflict, and they have the same goal, although it's revealed later that they have different reasons for wanting to get to Chicago. Okay, so let's operate on the Dell Griffith being uh, Neil's guardian angel idea for a minute. Did Dell further Steve Martin's mission to get home? Did he actually help him to get home? Because he was viewed as a hindrance pretty much the whole way through. And certainly he was annoying and wouldn't let him sleep or made it harder in some aspects. But he helped him get to the train and he helped him. He took a black eye, presumably, to get him in, to get them in the back of the refrigerated truck, even though it was freezing outside. I get what you're trying to say. And if we want to operate on this premise that John Candy was a guardian angel, I mean, he wasn't a travel saint. He wasn't like a travel angel. He was an angel who was trying to reveal to Steve Martin something about his humanity, right? Because he did hinder him, right, by like taking his card and maybe kind of having some offbeat ideas that didn't really pan out. But he did help him in some ways, too. And I think that the fact that he kind of both helped and hindered him shows us that it wasn't about getting home it was about how john candy could change his perspective along the journey it's nice to think that way way. I, i i have another theory now my theory is that neil's wife wanted more time with taxi runner he was hidden upstairs and dell was part of the conspiracy to keep neil from getting home He orchestrated the cancellation of the planes. He sabotaged every mode of transportation. And still, in spite of everything, when he dragged Dell home with him, the wife was like, hello, Mr. Griffith. You totally botched that mission. Now here's my husband and taxi runner. My boyfriend has to jump out the window upstairs. Way to crush the Thanksgiving spirit, Wes. I think it was already crushed. I think we're all crushed right now, right? Travel advisories, don't go anywhere, don't do anything. Stay the hell home. And honestly, for planes, trains, and automobiles, there was less ability to connect. The phone calls were from phone booths if you weren't lucky enough to get a hotel room with a phone in it. There were no cell phones. There was no FaceTime. There was nothing like that. There wasn't even the ability to text or chat. It was home or nothing for Thanksgiving, right? I mean, you can Zoom video conference call your relatives and and now society has geared itself toward being able to connect remotely to anyone anywhere in the world, not just the country, let alone between New York and Chicago. But it was different. He didn't have any other option except to drive home. And your rating is? I like planes, trains, and automobiles. It just exists in a middle ground where it... I'm not exactly sure what kind of movie it is. Sure, it's a comedy, but also it's kind of a drama. And it's also contemplative. But, uh, you know, it's, it's fine. But I enjoyed watching it because Steve Martin is so good and because John Candy is so likable, so lovable. 
uh, for all the quirks of Del Griffith. He shines as a comedy star. He was really funny. And maybe it's all the more bittersweet because Del suffered such tragedy and we lost John Candy so early, which is a solid all right movie. There is something magical in the pairing between Steve Martin and John Candy. It's an appropriate holiday movie with very light stakes that families can watch together. And yet it has some heart and the motivations of the characters are kind of in the right place. So you feel good about watching it. I mean, I felt good about watching this with mom when she was staying with me. And it's a movie that I think works in a cinematic context with the talent that was involved. I think it's a movie that endures probably in part because it's a holiday movie, but because there's something magical in the chemistry of all the talent of John Hughes, of Steve Martin, of John Candy, and all of the kind of ancillary players that John Hughes likes to populate his movies with. So I think it's about time that I finally saw Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and I'm glad that we did. And I hope you enjoyed our review. You got an all right from Wes and a good from Iris. Happy Thanksgiving. We hope that you are safe and that you are with your loved ones in whatever way is safe and responsible. Don't go outside, super spreaders. As always, like, share, subscribe, and support or whatever movies at Patreon. This normally would be a Patreon title that we would release, but we wanted to do this as a special little treat for Thanksgiving. So we hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your hosts for The, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.